processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Read a book. I take some notes. I try to internalize it. Move on to the next thing. And I'm. Well, I'm, I'm. I can out. be useful too. That's not not a bad thing. But uh, <laughs> I'm very curious about this topic, Don. I know um, Don made the connection. I think he's very into this stuff as well. Even. Well, so I'm so I'm at it from a slightly different standpoint than you are. So yes, I'm old school. I read a book. I take notes and put them in my wiki and then I go on to the next book and read it and put my notes into the wiki and and my wiki is very very well read um, <laughs> but the, the thing that uh, intrigues me and I'm glad that I got to know Marion a little better is the process of building activities, workshops and learning events that's where I'm kind of like, it's add, let me say it this way. It's adding rigor and checking to things I was doing intuitively. So in other words, I was doing a lot of this stuff, but I didn't have the frameworks. I didn't have the taxonomies. Did you notice I got taxonomy in here? Yeah, I got that. Good job. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's something I actually find uh, find a lot with people is that they do learning intuitively. It's usually when we add structure that we screw them up. So, <laughs> well, hang on. Have we started? So let me yet? put a little structure into the podcast. I'm going to leave this part in because it's good conversation. But let's kick off the podcast and uh, sure. just say hello to the listener and thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, this is the Agile for Humans podcast. I'm your host Ryan Ripley. <laughs> joining me tonight, Marianne Willicky. Marion, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Marion's a, a learning expert and, and about the ways we learn, adaptive learning, very fascinating stuff. Certainly something I need help in, so I'm very excited to talk to her tonight. And my good friend, my the Agile for Humans senior booking agent, Don Gray. Don, how are you, sir? <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. So Don, as always, great mentor to me, good friend, and lover of small batch whiskey. Bourbon tonight. Bourbon tonight. Small batch bourbon. Excellent. So Don, Don is fueled up. Uh, Marion is brilliant with learning. And I'm going to try to... Oh, she's fueled up too. And I will try <laughs> to stay quiet and learn as much as possible from these two. But tonight, it really is about how we learn, how I think agile teams learn, how we can, as leaders, foster learning. But also, we were getting into some structure around workshops and the way that we present knowledge. And I think that's equally as important. The message has to be framed well for, for it to be received, right? Yes, absolutely. So, Marion, in your practice, I think there's a number of workshops and activities that you do around learning. When you go to a team, what are you looking for? What do you see from a behavioral aspect that kind of tells you, here's the markers or the tracers in their learning process. And what do you see and what are you looking to immediately kind of identify and look to turn around? The first thing I'm looking for when I am working with a specific content is how self-aware they are and where they are in that content. So one of the easiest ways to do that is to do a little exercise right up front. I actually have a friend who did this and it, it was it works out brilliantly. 
And what I do is I take Bloom's Taxonomy, which is basically a classification of how we learn. So we start out by remembering, then we graduate to being able to understand, and then we move forward to being able to apply something. Then we can analyze it. Once we're able to analyze it, we then have the capacity to evaluate it. After that, we should be able to create it. Now you can do that in that order or you can invert it and have a much more interesting learning experience. <laughs> but one of the one of the best things to do is to take a team, put that list up there on the wall and say, where do you feel you are in this particular knowledge area, this knowledge domain? And it can be all over the map and that really helps drive the decisions on how I'm going to address that content with them. So a lot of problems that I can that I do see in workshop development is that people come in with preloaded information. You know, the 300 slide deck plan um, is very, very. There's no flexibility, and if somebody's not ready for that, they're overwhelmed. If somebody is needs to already knows the basic information and needs to be able to be flexible and learn outside the box and and be able to have conversations around experiences whatever they're they're stuck with 300 slides so it's important to be able to have an idea of where everybody is and that's a good way to identify it you know it's interesting you bring up the the 300 slide problem i I think i've we've all sat through that type of talk or workshop and and typically it's the type that i walk out of but equally you know there are speakers who go for that more experiential type activity where Here's a scenario, role play it with the person next to you. And I find that equally um, vomit inducing. And uh, my, the law of two feet typically follow it as that queasiness uh, moves up in, from my stomach into the throat. So I'm wondering when you're putting together a vehicle, like a workshop to actually present that knowledge, what is that balance of clearly you don't want the 300 slides? Like that's, that's probably not the most appropriate unless you're, you're doing something very, very rigid and structured. And even then there's got to be a better way. But then you also don't want these false scenarios where people are so people don't want to role play like that typically. So what is it that when you're structuring a workshop, how do you get the engagement but also avoid all of those slides and, and some of that, that rigidity that, that can just be almost like drinking from the fire hose? The biggest uh, problem with the 300 slide plan is that it's content heavy. So they've planned for very specific rigid content and uh, anything outside of that, it, it throws them for a loop, throws everybody for a loop. The way to approach that in my mind is to create some very specific learning goals. And these do not have to be, we call them objectives, outcomes, goals, transformation moments, whatever you want to call it. What are, let's say, three to four major experiences you want people to be able to walk away and say, I got that. I know how to take this to the workplace or to whatever scenario makes sense. Once you understand what those are, then you can be very flexible in how you want to achieve them. So, for example, if everybody is pretty much at an understand level of whatever the learning goal is, then you can be creative in how you want to get them to the apply level. You can, you know, create scenarios for them to be able to explore 
how they might apply what they already understand. Maybe you have a mix. Maybe you have a lot of people who really feel like they are capable of evaluating and then a lot of people who feel like they're only capable of understanding. So then you can pair those individuals up and be able to share perspectives um, be more of a, a mentor scenario. There's, there's, there's a lot of variety that you can do when you have a little more knowledge of what their, their base experience is with whatever the goal is. So you're not coming at it from a content perspective, you're coming at it from a goal perspective, and that can help you choose what content to bring in. So it's really know, know your audience and know mm-hmm. what you want to do with them and then position them in the best way to get there. Yes. I love it. Don, you and Esther Derby do, I think, perhaps one of the most popular business workshops in the country. You know, between the two of you, you guys co-teach coaching beyond the team. I mean, you guys have been doing this for years. You guys are doing it globally now. I mean, it is truly one of the more talked about uh, workshops. Are you finding some congruence with the way that Marion is explaining how this learning happens and then some of the practices that you and Esther have uh, brought forward in your workshops? Uh, I'm finding a lot of congruence. Uh, I talked uh, with Marion Monday night, Monday evening we met. And so what I'm starting to do is take the list of activities that we do. As you know, Coaching Beyond the Team is an experiential workshop. So uh, we have probably 15 to 20 different activities that we do over the course of the three days. And I'd never sat down and thought, explicitly uh, about what exact outcomes are we looking for? Where do we want to, um, what experience do we want the participants to have? We know that they have to go through the experience. Uh, If we go through and just show them slide after slide after slide after slide, they'll fall asleep. The law of two feet will take over. I've been doing now is actually starting with the very first one. So our very first activity is intent. What is your intention at this workshop? Why are you here? What level are you working on, on for your coaching? Are you looking at personal level? Are you looking at the team level? You're looking at the organizational level. What is the problem you're looking at? And I'm, we're, we're now starting to look at the content from the what outcomes, what are the activities, and then how will we know that this activity supported the outcome we were hoping to create? Very cool. So then mapping... Those activities, you get back to the goals, you know the audience. It's something that I did this year, or this past year for the first time, was actually do a workshop. So I was asked to do a half-day workshop on advanced scrum. And that's a wide topic, right? <laughs> so it's every every practice, every every ritual, every ceremony, the, the artifacts, all of that. And I had no idea how to teach such a wide topic to a wide group of people. So I just did the low-tech social network. So it's basically come up with a sticky note. Where are you at in your scrum journey? What are you hoping to get the most out of this workshop? And then essentially it was four hours of walking through each ceremony and each artifact in a Q&A style. And so there were zero slides. The class was completely composed of the needs of each student or of each participant. I thought that was the cheater's way out. <laughs> Part of me felt no, guilty. Actually, no, no, no. Actually, actually that's, that's the brilliant answer. Mm-hmm. My first introduction to this type of a workshop and this, this type of a learning environment was problem-solving leadership back in 95. And that's four and a half days of just you doing work, 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 work. And PSL over the years has been one of the more popular 
and sought after workshops. And then in 2000, I started designing half-day simulations, half-day workshops for the AYE conference. The first year was just horrible because I thought I had to know all of the answers. I had to, I had to know everything. And in reality, my job as a workshop facilitator is to create a safe space, frame the learning, understand the outcomes that we're after, and then provide the activities so that people create their own learning. In a, right. class, in, in, in a class of, or a workshop of 20 people, you're going to have 20 different levels of understanding, 20 levels of experience, and 20 possible different aha moment. You cannot design that. You have to create the container for that to happen. And, and so that's why I'm saying, no, Ryan, that was not the cheater's way. <laughs> You're brilliant beyond your years. <laughs> Ryan, something that brings into play here, you say you felt like you were a bit cheating there, where I think you're thinking of the traditional model where you're supposed to have all of this content and be able to share it with them, which is really very old school. Um, that is that is very industrial age education. And we've moved on from that in the digital period. I mean, for a while there, we transitioned from that lecture syndrome. We, we call it a lot in education. Um, uh, getting away from sage on the stage. We don't want stage, uh, sage on the stage anymore. So we, we transfer, we're like, how do we, you know, transfer this knowledge? Well, we can turn it into more of a facilitative mode, you know, where learners and experts uh, are, are interacting with each other. And yes, that works extremely well. And that's great. But more recently in this past decade, I've seen a lot where we have, um, really been focusing on letting the learners guide where they need to go. We have information overload. Information is not something we need to be imparting because, frankly, they can read a lot on the ceremonies. They don't need somebody to walk them through a workshop on the ceremonies. But what they do need is that experience of collaboration, new perspectives, things that they haven't thought about situations that they haven't been in and be able to pull from that and be able to apply it into their own life and experiences. Something that comes immediately to mind, this concept of teaching from the back of the room. I know that this is a, a thing that's really popping up in the Agile community lately. I think it's based on a, a pretty popular book. It's the idea, no slides, everything's drawn out uh, as the course goes forward, but it's still somewhat scripted. I'm wondering if you have any experience with this type of concept are you seeing this emerge as well? And how does it fit in with your general theory of, of how a workshop or how a an educational vehicle can be put together to be the most effective? Well, Sharon Bowman's work is brilliant. I love it. And I mean, she everything that she has written is completely grounded in adult learning theory. And when I say adult learning theory, I'm talking about the focus on being able to learn experientially instead of only from a book or only from a lecturer. Uh, it's very integrative. So I think that's fabulous. However, the limitation that I think you're perceiving or, or, or working around here is that, frankly, we have a limit with, with workshops. I mean, not everything learned is in a workshop. We don't want to go to work and only learn in a workshop. We learn every day, everything that we do. And typically, we learn, we learn best when we fail, I mean, this is why a lot of times when I see when I see people go, 
we need to, in education especially, uh, formal education, people will say, well, we have to get them to the understand level before we can get to them, get them to the apply level. And then before we have to do that before we get them to, why not, why not flip it? Have them start out with the create. Let's say you're doing a graphic art planning or whatever. Have them create it first and then they can evaluate it. So they work back down the cognitive learning taxonomy. And then based on their evaluation, they can analyze where they basically messed up. And then after that, they can apply what they've learned to improve. So you're basically starting out with trying something, learning from your failure, and doing it again better over and over and over. So again, this is why... I think this just reinforces one of my key principles as an Agilist is that the retrospective is the most important thing we do. It is. Reflection is critical. And there is, in all scholarly literature out there, they cannot get away from reflection being one of the most powerful tools for us to be able to learn effectively. In fact, um, critical reflection theory really focuses... Um, critical transformation um, really focuses on the fact that, yes, we learn a lot when we immediately reflect. So let's say within five minutes, one day, one class, one workshop, we learn a lot. But one year later, if we intentionally reflect, we get even more of a transformational moment because we've learned a lot between that immediate learning and then and then later looking at it again. So we don't want to just go through a workshop, learn about it and then hustle off. We want to keep the thread of the learning going through whatever we're doing and continuing to learn back, look back and learn as we mature in our in our views. So, Don, that's interesting because I think we've talked about a number of times where PSL especially, like you've been mining that particular experience for for a number of years now i I don't want to make you feel bad or older like that but that's something that we've talked about a number of times where you know as you as you do more uh consulting engagements as you work with more people as you meet you know great people like marion here and talk about these structures you find out that the lessons from that those particular experiences keep on giving you know i wonder if it's more I mean, we, we grow, we change, time gives perspective uh, mm-hmm. at what probably seemed like a miserable experience one day, probably doesn't seem so bad the next, you know, type of thing as far as projects and, and deliveries go. But uh, I wonder if that means that we should all be journaling and we should all be keeping track of, it, let me step back. Maybe it's just awareness. Yep. Don's holding up a notebook. Journaling, journal. I cannot over emphasize the power of journaling as far as it's interesting because a lot of my my work my research has been around self-actualization how to help people work towards that journey of growth in in moving from a it has to be this way to every data is good data even even the bad days in fact the bad days are the best data that sort of behavior um journaling really helps us get there so, Don, you held up uh, during that discussion uh, a notebook or a journal, and it looks like you've been doing this practice for quite a while. What are some of the things that, when you're when you sit down to journal, and I'm a, I don't know if you do it daily or weekly or what your cadence is, but when you decide to sit down and really write something, what is it that you focus on? What is it that you try to capture? And what's the intent of using that those writings? You know, both 
at the present moment and and in the future? So the journal I held up was actually started in 2014. I I did find a journal somewhere on one of these shelves recently. The, st- I started in 1999, and I went back and I was reading some rereading some of the entries, and it's like, wow. Was that all I was thinking about then? <laughs> it seemed so important at the time. Uh, journaling for me is um, sort of where I take random thoughts and connect them on paper. And uh, for me personally, I, I have special pens. I use fountain pens when I journal. I only journal with fountain pens. It's the only time I use fountain pens. Uh, so it's sort of a thing for me. And uh, it's where I start to try to put together things like uh, systems thinking and learning, learning and change, problem solving. Uh, and then so here's, here's some of the content in the current journal. Is learning fractal? Uh, double loop learning. How do you know change is working? These are the sorts of things I write about. Uh, I try to fill at least one page in my journal when I journal. You know, top to bottom takes 10, 15 minutes. Uh, Some people, there is, I believe, some research that says you're supposed to write three pages, and somewhere around page and a half, too, that's when you really start to make interesting connections in your mind. (laughs) Uh, I must be advanced. I get these interesting connections much quicker. But perhaps the hardest part is the awareness that you're learning something at that moment and and really just starting to, to be open to the fact that that every action or every activity or every meeting is an opportunity to pull a lesson out of it. And some of those lessons may be insignificant. Some of them may be major later. But just the idea that we are continuing to learn is probably new to some people who are, are going to work. You know, they're, they're working through their projects, they're delivering software, but not necessarily being aware that there's these, these lessons out there that they could be grabbing and perhaps growing from. Is that a thing? Hey everyone, it's your host Ryan Ripley here, just interrupting for a moment to bring you a message from our sponsor this month, TechWell. Do you know what makes Agile testing different? As Agile adoption continues within the industry, more testers are participating in Agile projects and often struggle to understand their role. Likewise, the very nature of Agile means that many non-testers are also regularly called upon to test. A recognized leader in software testing and quality assurance training and resources, SQE Training offers a number of courses that help both traditional testers and other software development professionals learn the concepts and the skills necessary to build better software. Their Software Testing Training Weeks offers four courses that can help Agile team members understand what makes testing in an Agile environment different. Software Testing Training Weeks also features courses in DevOps, mobile app testing, security testing, test design, and more. Training weeks are planned for Atlanta, Georgia, San Diego, California, and Boston, Massachusetts this spring. Agile for Humans listeners can save $250 on any individual course or Agile testing bundle purchased by March 15, 2017 with promo code 17AFHW. See all the courses, dates, and locations at sqetraining.com forward slash training week. We hope you'll check this out as... You know, we're talking about learning in this particular episode with Marion. You know, testing is, is one of the key ways that we learn on Agile Teams. TechWell and their software testing training weeks have put together a great curriculum for all of you. 
I hope you'll check it out. Use the code 17 AFHW. And now let's get back to Marion as she drops more knowledge on us about how learning impacts teams and, and how it can actually change your culture. No, it, in fact, it's interesting that you say that because I, I had mentioned how you know, Bowman's work is so fantastic in the workshop. Just taking a step back for a second. Um, there's there's so much learning outside of that. And that's what I would like for my work. Well, that is what I'm doing a lot right now with my work is helping people be able to establish mental models so that they can be learning no matter what they're doing. And it's just, you know, three steps in that I try to facilitate. You're specifically learning something, just one thing. You don't have to go crazy. Uh, just learn one thing. Experiment with that. Play with it. Apply it. See what happens. Reflect on that. And then reflect on that with other people. Don't just make this internal. The fact that we can share that with others will get more more information, um, more sharing. And when we tell stories to each other, Neurology teaches us that our capacity in our brain increases quite a bit for creating connections and learning better. So I think if we create that intentionality around that particular mental model, learn something intentionally, experiment with it, reflect and share, that will be very powerful for us so that we can increase our self-awareness. The more we practice that, the more self-aware we are. Yeah, we will always have times when we're not self-aware, but that will increase our capacity for self-awareness. So perhaps that's another endorsement of perhaps a lean coffee session every week with your fellow coaches or some kind of, act, some, some ability to, you're basically creating the opportunity to tell each other stories about something that you learned. Yes. And then a, an opportunity to reflect on that learning. And so again, one of our, our favorite practices of, of lean coffee Perhaps it's keeping some of us older people in shape to learn. You know, <laughs> another myth and something that comes up a lot is that, you know, I watch, I have a, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a nine-month-old. And my six-year-old can see something once, and he's an amazing sponge. He can, he can build a Lego set faster than I've ever been able to. He can do a puzzle uh, almost by memory now that he's done his puzzles. He does it once and then can immediately take hundreds of pieces and get them in place and you know, the, the capacity for him to, to look at something, and, and even my four-year-old is, is showing the same signs. It's like their brains are rubber. Mine feels like cement. But, I, but I, there seems to be some new, new studies out there that is debunking that quite a bit, that perhaps even guys like Don and I can still learn, even though we're well past the your brain is, is fluid stage. Is that, again, this is not my expertise, but Marion, have you seen that uh, the studies and some of the techniques coming out, especially for adult learning, that we are still capable of being taught some new tricks. Absolutely. The issue for adult learning is that we create bias as we get older. And when I say bias, I'm not going to go crazy and talk about all the bias out there. But I mean, just in learning bias, there's so much. And when when we create those walls, it's it's intrinsic. We're not even thinking about those walls as we're learning. So if we're trying to just give information to each other, like da 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 data, I'm going to immediately dispute that. If I disagree with it, I'm going to immediately dispute that because I have my own data. However, if we turn that to more of a sharing experience of this is an experience I had, these are observations I'm having. 
then that's when our neurology is really connecting with each other. We're mirroring each other and saying, yes, I resonate with that emotion. I resonate with that observation. Now, I may have a different take on that particular observation, but I resonate with your observation. And there's your first step to really learning because we're learning how to see the same situation in different ways and respecting that in each other. That's very powerful. So absolutely, there's... um, huge capacity for learning as we get older. We just have to become more and more whole-bodied with our learning. It's not just information. It's everything that we have to be including. So we have the mental models. We -hmm. have the capacity to learn. So now how can we, as members of an organization, or even as just organizations, create a culture of learning? What's that next step? If you ask me that next step, it is creating intentionality in all of the departments on not just learning in those short focus. Like, I really strongly believe that to learn effectively, they need to be in short focus bursts, experiment with that, and then share with stories. I think that's the most effective way to be able to learn. But and they have to be with other people. It can't be just individual. That doesn't mean that workshops are bad. It just means I, in my opinion, they're overused. Just like, oh, we need to learn about X, Y, Z, go hire workshop ABC and get that done. And then we'll have that check mark, you know, checked. And it doesn't work like that. It doesn't become a part of our value system if we are doing it in that manner. So if we have what whatever priorities an organization have that we need to make sure that the organization embraces learning around these things, whatever those are, then create the learning outside of, you can have the the workshops, but outside of that in just, you know, your stand-ups, your reflection times, whatever, and be, create goals for every week, every month, however the iteration should be, um, depending on the cadence of the teams or the department or the company or whatever. Um, And yeah, just sit down and plan with all the stakeholders how you're going to design that. I think that's an important way to make that happen. So what I think I heard was plan your learning events explicitly as opposed to, oh, now let's have a workshop on XYZ. Yeah, that was a much better way of saying it. <laughs> well, I, I just I just I was thinking so, through everything and you <laughs> summarized it beautifully. No, I, it's it's a great pointer and and perhaps to take it to a, a different level. So let's say that in the role of an agile coach, I'm I'm running through the daily scrum. So let's say it's a, a scrum we're using the scrum framework, we're trying to figure out a way to do a learning exercise, what is something that I could do, let's say during a, a daily scrum, just a it's a 15 minute meeting, an opportunity for a very quick hit, you know, what's the kind of thing that you would try to structure in such a, a short period of time that could perhaps, you know, initiate a, a learning opportunity? What are some things, my question to you, let's just say I was working with you as an instructional designer. Okay. And you, you say you want to create some learning experiences for your team and you are, I'm sorry, which role did you pick? <laughs> Agile coach. Agile coach. Okay. 
<laughs> and you as an agile coach, you you want to create these. I would say, okay, what themes are you wanting to help y- your team embrace? Let's say for a fictitious team. So let's say the team is struggling with... Incomplete work at the end of the sprint. That's fine. So let's say that the, the team is having trouble completing their work. That when we get to the end of the sprint, everything's always 90%, but never 100 And that's that last 10% that takes three more months. You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of situation. So when we're trying to teach people to finish, how would we structure that conversation? Okay. So I would, I would have a conversation with you on what are the major themes around um, getting it finished that are important for people to embrace, to understand. So what's it? So what's important about finishing? No, what what are two or three things you would have them learn in order to be able to finish? So I would, first of all, try to teach them the ability to say no to unplanned work. Okay. That would be one. So saying no. And, and perhaps trying to teach the idea that the minimal viable feature is what we need and not the gold-plated one. Okay. So perhaps doing what is sufficient to fulfill the need and nothing more. So I would take these three things. I'm writing notes because I don't forget. Sure. Because in my world, I'm never the expert in whatever the the content is. I'm the I'm the architect. Sure. I call myself a learning architect a lot. So the first thing I would say, all right, let's come up with some stories, examples of what happened when you don't say no and a couple stories of what happened when you did say no. Share that with the group in the 15-minute stand-up and then challenge everybody to say, say no to at least one thing this week. Just one thing. And then write it down. And at the end of the week or the next stand-up, share how that affected you. How do you feel that affected you? And then everybody shares and then up the ante, do two or three things, say no. What that does is it's not just saying, okay, you need to say no. You know, nowhere in the reality of our brains can we just say, just say no. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't work that way. We have to create habits and practices. So I would say that's how we would do the first one. Now, you notice we're not tackling all three of these at once. We're tackling one of them. And then, so we get everybody to a point, maybe two or three weeks in, they're really doing great on saying no. And you might see a difference in the data with your 90%. I don't know. That would be something to look at at that point. So let's say it went down maybe 2%. You're up to like 92% completion. Then you move on to the next thing, minimum viable feature. And you work with them on in the next 15 minute standup of this is what a minimum viable feature is. And again, focusing on stories and why it's important, always focusing on the why it's important and then having them practice experiment with doing that. Um, not again, changing everything all at once impossible, but just tackling it little increments at a time and then coming back and sharing every time until you feel like they're really grasping the practice of using minimum viable features. Again, look at your data. Is is are you up to, you know, more completion time now? Yes or no. And then when you get that more completion time, go to your third one. What is really needed and help them work through that and again, practicing on it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I The whole time you're talking through it, I'm thinking this is, you know, next level coaching. These are the things why I think a scrum master could be a full-time role. I think these are the things why I think agile coaches should be, uh, you know, hired and, and brought into teams and, and used regularly. It's these kinds of observations, the ability to frame that kind of learning uh, to create those stories. It's almost like a, a shared understanding among that team. And you're almost building your own little culture uh, mm-hmm. right within that group by, you know, from the beginning of time. We've told each other stories and that's how culture spreads. It used to be the campfire. Now it's standing around a whiteboard, but it's still the same concept, right? Absolutely. Yes. And that's how culture, that is exactly how to create a learning culture. Because not only are they learning these three things, they're creating those very important habits that I mentioned earlier, learn, experiment, reflect. This is a real skill that, that I think a lot of Agile coaches should, should dig into. I think this idea of trying to remember how you, you're a learning architect is how you, you uh, what you called yourself. So as an Agile coach, I'm clearly never going to become... Uh, a, a full-fledged learning architect, but what are some resources that I can look into? Of course, if, if you're looking to to really get uh, to the core of this, hire Marion. Uh, this, is, this is her job. This is what she goes into companies and what she does for people. But for those of us that are just looking to, say we're intrigued, say you've caught the attention of an agile coach like me who, who thinks that perhaps, you know, I think I could be doing more for my team by framing these types of experiments and trying to create these stories. Where can I go to learn a little bit more about uh, the right ways to do this and uh, to become a little more proficient in this really, I think, under underutilized and probably not very well understood skill? Well, this is a concept that I have kind of nicked from formal education, what we would call micro learning. So it's essentially micro learning. And there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about micro learning there's very little practice that is being reported out so if you want more of an idea of what micro learning is that's that's something that's interesting to look up what i'm trying to do is put micro learning into practice with these these important you know little bit at a time and then and then practicing them and then and then reflecting them and all of that is connected with yes years of learning but I have been in the process of developing some frameworks that make it easy for anybody that is in a coaching or facilitating or leadership role to be able to just download and say, okay, I really want to use this. I'm going to follow this sheet to create a design for some learning for my team and be able to follow that. So that those are areas that I've really been working on. Um, recently, and am excited about de- um, continuing to develop and put on my website. And then also, my hedgehog learning company is something that is completely based in uh, that short, first, short focus bursts of learning around whatever topic um, a a leader would want his or her team to be experiencing. Very cool. So if people want to check out that website, Marion, where can they go? It's mhwilleke.com. Uh, and we'll be sure to get a, a link to the show notes to the website and some of the, the materials that you have out there. Very powerful stuff. Thank you. you know, it, it, no, thank you. I mean, this is an area that, like I said, I think these are the things that coaches uh, could be doing to serve their teams. And if 
we're if we're not doing that intentionally, then you know, like Don was saying uh, before we officially kicked off the show, that these are things that that he had been doing through certain workshops and through certain experiences, but really had not had a framework around it. And uh, to see that some of these things are coming into a little more clarity and, and there's really a practice behind it, I think is exciting for a lot of people. And I don't think it's just coaches. It's, um, it, it's endemic. It's, it's necessary for the agile mindset. Uh, our world is changing so fast that if you are not learning, you will be losing. And at the organization level, if you do not have a focus on learning and creating a learning organization, um, then you will eventually be relegated to the trash heap of business. It's just a matter of time. When I talk about um, creating learning organizations, I give often the comparison of uh, John Deere as an example of continually learning. They're constantly pivoting to the new ages of what is being required of them. You know, they started out with horse-drawn implements. I do believe that's gone out of style. So, you know, they continue to adjust where we can look at companies who haven't done so well on learning, such as Kodak, where, you know, they were afraid to pivot to the new demands of the consumer. So we, we lose our capability to be competitive if we let those biases control us, those learning biases control us and um, say no. Well, I think that's a great place to leave this conversation. Uh, Marion, I've, I've enjoyed this. It's a new topic. Like I said, it's one that I didn't know much about at the beginning. It's one that I'm going to have to very much dig into now, That especially since uh, starting to give workshops. I want to make sure they're as valuable as possible. Uh, Don, definitely appreciate the experience you bring to this uh, Again, Coaching Beyond the Team is one of those workshops that the people get a lot of value out of. They rave about it when they go. I still have to get to it. I hope to make it to it uh, at some point. But you guys keep getting more and more exotic locations. It's harder to, to afford those flights, Don. Minneapolis is not exotic. Oh, I thought there was another one coming up. Uh, are we to the shameless plug portion of the podcast? We are, and I, we'll, we'll kick it off with you. All righty, shameless plugs. Uh, coaching Beyond the Team this year, we have three sites and dates already set. Uh, Minneapolis, April 4th through 6th. Stockholm, May 2nd through 4th. And Toronto, I think it's the 12th through the 14th of September. We may have a fourth location possibly on the West Coast in October. We don't know yet. Uh, CoachingBeyondTheTeam.com. We have a new website going live, hopefully by next week. An update to the website. Um, we did expand the class or the workshop to three days. We found we were handing out handouts and content instead of going through it. And we said, that's not good. Let's go ahead and expand it by one extra day. Uh, one other thing that uh, people listening uh, may have heard of the AYE conference. Uh, the AYE conference had a library of articles that were was built over 13 years, some fascinating content by interesting people. Uh, that library went away but has been re-instituted um, at humansystemsinaction.com. 
It's a long title, but nobody else had it. Humansystemsinaction.com slash library. So all the AYE articles are alive and on the web again. We will certainly be mining that. That's a a treasure trove of a a lot of great pieces. So thanks for that, Don. And Don, if people want to hit you up on Twitter, how do they get you? Uh, Twitter, at Donald E. Gray. Website, donaldegray.com. If you want to email me, Don, at donaldegray.com. You're very consistent. That makes it nice and easy. So we'll get links to all that in the show notes so that if you want to talk to Don some more, if you want to talk to Donald E. Gray some more, uh, we certainly have ways for you to be able to do that. So, Marion, how about you? How can the listeners reach out, uh, whether it's Twitter, website, all of that, and if you have any... uh, conference events coming up if you have any workshops would love to hear about all of those things well i'm easy i'm i'm as creative as don with mhwillicky.com and marionette mhwillicky.com and twitter handle twitter twitter handle of at mhwillicky so pretty much if you have my initials of mh and can spell my last name you can probably find me excellent We'll get, links, we'll get links in the show notes for all of that. Just wanted to thank you. It's, it's great to have people come on and just bring these interesting topics forward. It's, it's, uh, I just enjoyed this. I really appreciate it. The opportunity. It's been a lot of fun to talk about. Good, and I hope you'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll expand on this. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of questions. So, and we'll have to, uh, I believe, bring your husband in on one of these as well, right? I'm sure he would love that. Excellent. <laughs> well, we certainly enjoyed talking to you tonight, Don. I always love the opportunity to spend some time with you. We haven't done the haven't done that too much lately. I hope we uh, get some more time this year. I think we might. We'll see how the conference schedules go. But uh, to the listeners, this uh, 2016 was a great year. Really wanted to thank all of you for um, all the support, all the notes, uh, the way that you guys reacted to all the things that we were doing at the podcast. 2017 is shaping up to be a really interesting year as well. We're getting great people like Marion joining us for the first time. Don has been uh, back a few times now. I think we're going to have uh, a really strong lineup this year. And your guys' support as listeners through sharing, through the downloads, uh, through the TechWall events that we've been spo- that that have been sponsoring us, you know, your signups, all of that has just been tremendous. Truly humbled uh, to have this kind of listenership, and really love that all of you are there. So. Uh, just can't wait to see what else is coming in 2017. Really appreciate all the support. And uh, instead of saying have a good night, I'm going to say everybody keep learning. So thanks for listening and, and just everyone keep learning. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. <laughs>